Okay, we're back to Nehemiah today. It's Nehemiah 9:38 through 10:29, but just a caveat, we're going to skip about 23 verses because it's a genealogy. So, we're only going to read about 3 verses. So, when I skip that, you'll recognize that. Because of all of this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our levites, and our priests. On the seals are the names of, and now we're going to skip down to 28. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands as to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our Lord and his rules and his statutes. Good morning. It's nice to be back. I was gone for a week at a pastor's conference, but it feels like forever. It feels like I haven't been here in months. You might not feel that way, but I feel that way. Let's pray. God, thanks for your word. I pray, Lord, that as you are here with us, that you would minister to each person exactly where they're currently at with things that they need to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you may be wondering why we're starting at chapter 9, verse 38, when the majority of the verses that we'll be unpacking this morning are found in chapter 10. Now, the reason that we're beginning in chapter 9, verse 38, this morning is that in the Hebrew Bible, verse 38 is actually the very first verse of chapter 10 for their Bible. So that's why we're going old school. This will make more sense as we kind of unfold this stuff. There's a covenant that is signed that these people signed in. And this can be found in Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 39, which we won't have time to go through today. We'll, we'll go through that the next time we meet. But you look at the end of verse 39 of chapter 10, and it reads this, we will not neglect the house of our God. That's the summary of the covenant that they made. Now, what does this even mean? So let's get started with this study this morning, chapter 9, verse 38, but keep that in mind that summary statement, we will not neglect the house of our God. Chapter 9, verse 38. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing on the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. Now you look at the first kind of few words there, because of all this. This is in reference to what happened in chapter 9, where we get a rich explanation of ancient Jewish history, a rich explanation of theology, which is all helpful when addressing life's most important questions such as who is God, who am I, what is the universe, how do we all relate to each other and the universe. Biblical history helps us to shape our present, it helps us to shape our future, and if we neglect the past, if we don't learn from it, then we're destined to repeat those mistakes. Now our personal history is a little different. You take a look at Philippians chapter 3 verses 13 and 14. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul is not writing to tell us that personal history doesn't influence us. We all know that it does. Who we are today has been shaped by our past. But here's an important thing to keep in mind. Your past does not define you. And for any of you who may be stuck because of your past... Jesus can set you free from that. You don't keep looking back to Egypt. You don't keep looking back to your bondage. You look to Jesus. You look ahead. Now, who wrote Philippians? Paul, right? 
Paul, who could have easily been a person stuck in his past, because he's the one that gave the go-ahead or was holding all the coats to the guys that were stoning Stephen. He's the guy that was persecuting Christians, jailing them, separating them from families. He's the one that is doing all of this terrible things to the persecuted Christian church back then. So if he kept looking back, thinking, I'm so bad. I did these things that were so bad. He could have been easily paralyzed from the great work that he did do for the kingdom of God. Now, some of you may be thinking that it's only the bad things in the past that can hold you back, but that's not true. It's also the good things of your past that can hold you back. Because if Paul, you fast forward a little bit, looked back at the great things he did, man, I've been a missionary to a lot of places, and I've evangelized a lot of people, and I've discipled a lot of people. I've done some really great things. I'm going to relax now, because look at all this stuff in my past. Because, you know, we've all met that guy that's still stuck in his high school days, right? His glory days when I was a high school quarterback. I was a varsity. And he wears his Letterman jacket when he's like 40 years old or whatever. We've all met that guy, right? But we've also met the people that are stuck in their past that it's not so good in the past. They're stuck at an event in their past that was horrible, traumatic, it was really bad. And they can't move forward from that event, whether it's a breakup, a divorce, a lost job, or whatever it may be. And we can get stuck in our personal histories, whether they are good or they are bad. And moving forward while being stuck is really difficult. Sure, we can reflect upon our personal history, but we can't live there. We can't live there. We need to move forward. And some of you may have a difficult time moving forward because you are stuck in your past. Whatever is holding you back, it needs to be put before God. It needs to be let go at his feet for you to give it to him and some of you have been stuck for a really long time and it's time for you to be free it's time for you to let go of those things you've been staring at your past for just way too long and your past is not going to change it happened already there's nothing back there that's going to change the only thing that can change is what you're doing moving forward But what's ahead of you can change, right? If you stop fixating on your past and you look to Jesus. When I was 15 and a half years old, uh, I got my driver's permit. I heard that millennials don't do that anymore. Like they wait till they're like 24 or something to get their driver's license. It's true of my cousins. I think it's so weird because I couldn't wait. 15 and a half that day, I was like, Dad, I got my permit, let's go, right? And so Dad takes me out to teach me how to drive and I already knew how to drive because my uncles and cousins took me out. So I was like, yeah, I'm driving, Dad, huh? And then he was like, well, how about the freeway? I was like, oh, yeah, I haven't done the freeway before. Let's do the freeway. So we're going on the freeway. And so the first time he takes me out, I was driving on the 60. This is in Southern California. And so, yes, I'm from Southern California, and I put the before the number. So, yeah, let's just, just, just get that out of the way. So we were going eastbound on the on-ramp on the 60. And he reminded me that I needed to look back as I merged onto traffic, right? To look at my rear view mirror, to look at my side mirror there, my driver's side mirror, and to look over at my blind spot. So I did all of those things. And so I saw the reflection from the rear view mirror, the driver's side mirror, and then I looked over my blind spot. And I kept looking over as I was merging all the way until I merged that lane. After I got on there and I turned my head back around, my dad corrected me. 
He was looking out for me. He saw what was behind me. He also saw what was ahead of me. And he told me, it's really good that you were looking behind you. That's a really good thing. But you can't fixate on what's behind you when you're going forward on the freeway because it's bad. <laughs> it could be really bad, right? So I was like, oh, yeah, I get it. And I never forgot that lesson. And I waited decades until I can share that in a sermon. But anyway... <laughs> We can't get fixated on our personal history. We can't keep staring back at that without negatively impacting our future. We can reflect on it, right? You can reflect on it quickly, side mirror there, take a quick glance and then move forward and look at those things in a really good way, but we can't fixate on it, on what's behind us. And as we move forward, it's good to reflect every once in a while to give us some perspective. But if we get fixated, if we stare at what's behind us while we're going forward, that's not a good thing. It's a disastrous thing. Now, some of you may be fixated on your past, and it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. And God is a good dad. God is right there next to you, and he sees what's behind you. He sees what's ahead of you. And he's telling you this morning, look forward you can't keep staring back there. Now you look at Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 33. You have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully and we have acted wickedly. To know that God is righteous, God is good, God is trustworthy, God is faithful, and you can reflect upon your past, but don't fixate on it, because you have a future ahead of you. Through biblical history, it led the people of God to their declaration in chapter 9, verse 38, and their personal history did not get them stuck because in chapter 10, we see how they moved forward. A lot of names in chapter 10, and they all agreed with this covenant. Now, what is a covenant? Essentially, it's a promise between two or more parties, one that also has a legal binding. And back in Nehemiah's day, it had a formal agreement in the form of an animal sacrifice. Why did they do this? To show how serious this was, to show that it costs something to enter this covenant. God's covenant with us is costly. It's the death of Jesus Christ. And our covenant to God is costly. It will cost your life. So that selfishness, those comforts, those luxuries, those things in your life that are ahead of the will of God, whatever it may be, our decision to follow Jesus will cost us something. And so these representatives of the people entered into a covenant with God. The first name recorded is Nehemiah, followed by the representatives of the priests in verses 1 through 8. The priests were followed by the Levitical representatives in verses 9 through 13. And then the chiefs of the people are found in verses 14 through 27. That is the fastest you'll ever hear me go through 27 verses, okay? Now, just because I went through those really quickly does not mean that those people were insignificant. These were all leaders who represented their people in this covenant with God. You and I may not know them, but they were sure known by their people, and they were sure known by God himself. And just like every person in here, God knows you, even though many other people will not. And one day, all of us are going to see God face to face. Will you be on the list of names like those in chapter 10 who led people to God? Or will we be on a 
different list of people who led people away from God, an enemy of God. Because you like it or not, we are on one of these two lists. You are either for God or you're not for God. There's no third list. So you're either in the book of life or you are not in the book of life. Right? Revelation chapter 20, verse 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Moving on to verse 28, chapter 10. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands of the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding. That last phrase there is really interesting. All who have knowledge and understanding. This is similar to Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 2. When Ezra the priest brought out the book of the law before the assembly of women and men and all who could understand what they heard. Whenever that age of understanding is, that individual needs to hear the word of God for themselves and make their own covenant with God. The children's ministry, the youth ministry, our church share in the responsibility to help with the knowledge and the understanding of God. But the bulk of that, the bulk of that knowledge and understanding needs to come from home. Because we can't expect our kids to gain knowledge and understanding an hour a week, right? I mean, your kids are in school six hours a day or whatever it may be, and you're expecting them to learn all about God an hour a week? It can't happen. You're going to have to work with them at home to gain that knowledge, to gain that understanding, and it can't all be book work or information that you're just downloading on them. It's going to have to be lived out practically and applied throughout their life, throughout the week, and that's part of a parent's, a guardian's, a mentor's role. Tyler mentioned Harold Rosas. I miss that guy a lot. If you ever needed a Mountain Dew, you just pop open his trunk and it was right there. So, and other things like red vines or something. Like he always had something like drink the Mountain Dew with the red vine. I don't know. But that guy invested not only into Tyler. There's a string of guys that Harold invested into. And it wasn't just a download of information. He lived with them. He lived his life out right before them. And we all need to grow in knowledge and understanding. And that's not going to be gained solely from just accumulating more information. We're going to have to live it out for ourselves. And we're going to have to live it out to those that we are influential towards. And as parents, as guardians, as mentors, we need to do this before those that we're kind of bringing up in the faith. James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearers who forgot but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. See, Christianity is not just a feeling. We're not Christians because we feel like we are Christians. It's part of it, but it's not all of it. There's knowledge. There's understanding. We can know about our faith through the Bible, through world history, through archaeology, through sociology, through prophecy, all these different things. Our relationship with God is not just a feeling. 
There's knowledge. There's understanding attached to it. There's application of what we feel, of what we know, and all this understanding that's attached to it. That through our minds, we use logic, we use reasoning to deepen our relationship with Jesus. What does Hosea give us in Hosea chapter 4, verse 6? My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, not lack of feeling. Lack of knowledge. They were destroyed because they lacked feelings? No, it was knowledge. You see how important our minds are to our faith. Feelings are really important as well. Please don't think that I'm disregarding them. It's just this about feelings. Feelings, they aren't objective. They're more subjective. And so you know that if you don't go to work, you're going to lose your job. You know that. You might not feel like going to work, but you know what will happen if you don't. You know. And if we go with our feelings without any knowledge, you can get into some serious trouble if you just go with feelings. Yet this is how a lot of the world lives. It goes by feelings. How people feel comes before what they know. Let me give you an example of this. Everybody in the entire world knows that smoking is horrible for your health. Everybody. The medical community, the insurance companies. If the insurance company knows, you know that everybody knows. It's just like Vegas. If Vegas knows, then you know. The hospitality industry. Everybody knows. But it makes them feel better. That smoke makes them feel better. It relaxes them. It is so true for many of the issues of the world today. Feelings come before knowledge. And you know what it's doing? It's slowly killing ourselves. It's not just the world, it's Christians too. Because I cringe when I hear a Christian reply with, you just know you're a Christian when you feel the warmth inside? You'll know. Oh my God. You feel warm. That's how you, I drink tea. I feel warm. This is hot water. Oh, Lord, come into me. Mm. You can feel warm, but it's more. I'm not denying that that warmth is there, but there's more. There's knowledge. There's understanding. There's application. That's why we teach through the Bible here. That's why we're going through these verses and people are maybe wondering like, wow, there's a lot of names. Why are you covering a whole Sunday on just going through all these things? Because we take that responsibility really seriously here. We desire to equip you with knowledge and understanding and we see how serious knowledge and understanding was to those in Nehemiah's time. Let's go to verse 29 here. Join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of our Lord and his rules and his statutes. So this is serious enough for them to enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law. This was an affirmation of Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 38 when they made that written covenant and put a seal on it. They took responsibility for their spiritual lives and they submitted their lives to God. And when you enter into such a relationship with God, it's going to impact your most intimate corners of your life. Here are three of them. Your family, which includes romantic relationships, 
So things like, how are things going on in your dining room, in your family room, and in your bedroom? Now, don't worry, this is a PG-13 study, so you don't have to be embarrassed about it. But we can figure out quite a bit simply by having conversations around the dining table, can't we? We can figure out where you are when we're sitting down in your living room just having conversations, can't we? Here's a second spot where it's going to impact this intimate spot in your life. It's going to impact your time, your purpose, your priorities, where you're investing your times because that is telling of where your purpose in life is and how you prioritize your life to get there. And here's a third place of intimacy that a relationship with God will affect. Your finances. Money. Where you are investing your money, because a lot can be told simply by looking at where you use your money. Our priorities can be seen clearly. I can tell where your priorities are if you just give me three things. Your credit card statement, your checkbook, and your receipts. I can tell a lot. It's really quiet. (laughs) And followers of Jesus, we need to constantly make adjustments. We need to constantly realign our lives to God's purposes. The people in Nehemiah 10, they made adjustments to realign with God and his word. They looked at God's purpose over their personal preferences. They looked at obligations to God over their personal rights. They looked at things with eternal perspectives, with eyes on eternity over the immediate gratification, over the immediate satisfaction. So let's first take a look at family, and this includes romantic relationships. We're going to briefly go over verses 30 through 34. I know it's more than what we read. We're going to go into more detail of those verses the next time we meet, but I want to briefly go over them just as an intro today. Verse 30, we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. Now, Some of you are married to spouses who are not Christians, and it's been challenging. Some of you have married spouses who confess to be Christians, and it's challenging. So it's not to say that if you marry a Christian, your marriage is going to be better or whatever or anything like that. I'm not saying that. But some of you have spouses who aren't believers, but they're really supportive of your faith. And that's just a blessing, while others of you have spouses who are not supportive of your relationship with Jesus, and it's been really dreadful on your marriage. And I've met with people through the whole gamut. Now, I'm here to tell you that we're not here to judge you in your marriage. You know, you're married. But whatever you're going through now, we want to come alongside you now. That's personal history. You made that decision in the past. You don't have to stare at it. You can be reflective about it and look forward. And we'd love the opportunity, it'd be a privilege for us to walk with you in that. For those of you who follow Jesus, but you're in a romantic relationship, say dating with someone who isn't following Jesus, you need to ask yourselves a few questions. Is that relationship for God's purpose, or is that your preference? What are your obligations as a child of God over what you feel is your personal right to make that type of choice. How does this decision impact eternity over the instant gratification satisfaction that you are feeling now in that relationship? So you need to ask those three questions there. Christianity 
even though much of the world does not feel this way. But biblical Christianity is very tolerant when it comes to things outside of sin. When it's outside of sin, hey, why do you see the diversity that you see in here? It's extremely tolerant, whether it's age, culture, ethnicity, socioeconomically, anything outside of sin, we are very tolerant, biblically speaking, but not of sin. We can't tolerate sin. Why is that? Because it separates us from God. That's why. And your relationships have a strong influence in terms of how you view sin. Will the relationships that you are in dictate how you kind of open up to sin or are even more tolerant of sin? Or will the scriptures, God's word, be that influential piece in your life? Let's move on to another intimate area that will be impacted by a relationship with God. It's time. Look at verse 31. And if the people of the land bring in goods or any grains on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy them from them on the Sabbath day or on a holy day, and we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. Honoring the Sabbath day. Honoring your time with God. A million other things can be done right now, but you're here. That honors God. This was really looking at God's purposes rather than their own preferences. This is looking at their obligations over their personal rights, their choices. Looking at eternity over instant gratification. Just like in Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 14 through 15, this is what it's written. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Probably not what they wanted to do or preferred to do with their time. Booths? We're going to make booths? We already have our house. Why are we going to make booths? Got to go out there and collect wood and leaves and all this kind of stuff and make this stuff? But God's word instructed it. So they did it because God's purpose is greater than our preferences. Some people probably looked at them and they just thought, you know, you're crazy. You guys are nuts because this still happens in Israel. Israel's a very developed nation, very modern, but they still celebrate the festival of booths, especially in the more orthodox areas. And those who are more Zionist or more worldly and not of the Jewish faith anymore, but they're more there because of cultural identity, they just think that those orthodox people are silly. You're crazy. Why are you doing that stuff? Some people think you're crazy to give up a Sunday every week to be at church. You're going where? For how long? Why? It's beautiful here. Why don't you go to the Marin Headlands? Why don't you go out to San Francisco and walk around and have a great meal? Why don't you do a ton of other things? But our purpose here is to worship God. Our time. And then lastly here, money. As Christians, we look to what our responsibilities, our obligations are, not our rights, not our just kind of choices. We have a broader perspective a kingdom perspective, an eternal perspective. Look at verses 32 and 35. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Money is a very intimate area that will be impacted by a relationship with God. To honor God with our first fruits of time and money. What God has blessed you with to give a portion of that to God. It honors him. Now, we'll get into this more the next time we get together. 
and we'll dig into this more, but those are two really intimate areas that will be impacted with a relationship with God. What do you need to reflect upon and then to move forward with? What do you need to let go of and then commit to God to move forward with Him? So we need to understand, we need to obey, we need to apply the Word of God. And when you do that faithfully, you will be accused of being intolerant, of being narrow-minded, of being arrogant, a religious fanatic, whatever it may be. And if you can't deal with that, you will compromise on the truth of God's Word. We need to remain true. We need to remain faithful to God's Word regardless of what we are accused of. And when looking for direction, guidance on how we are to live, we look to the Scriptures. We don't look to culture. We don't look to people. We don't look to the masses. Why is that? Because they change all the time. What people are believing now, what people value now, it's going to change in 10, 20 years, just like it did 10, 20 years ago to what we are kind of valuing today. It changes all the time. It doesn't stay consistent. The scriptures have remained true throughout the ages. And it's through the Bible where we receive godly wisdom in our relationships, where we invest our time, where we invest our money. It's through the Bible that we know, we understand, and we apply God's purposes over our preferences. It's through the Bible that we know, understand, and apply our obligations to God over our rights. It's through the Bible that we know, understand, and apply an eternal perspective to our lives over that short-term, instantaneous gratification, satisfaction, that instant feel-good moment. Those moments that are so short-lived, and they leave us feeling empty just moments later. The Scriptures help us keep all of that in perspective. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. I pray, Lord, that this is more than just an accumulation of information, but that as we grow in knowledge and understanding of you, that we would apply it in our lives. God, I pray for those who are stuck in their past, who are living in their past, who are not able to move forward. I pray, Lord, that they would acknowledge that you have the ability to set them free. That, Lord, they can move forward with you in their sights. In Jesus' name, amen.